0: Well, I think I can accurately say this morning that watching and waiting for the imminent arrival of Irma has changed the behavior of all of us here in this room. And in many cases, normal life has kind of stopped. Schools are closed. Businesses have shut down. People have gathered supplies and boarded up their homes. Many people uh, evacuated as early as Thursday. It's changed us. Now, for those smug of you here this morning saying, hmm, I'm not going anywhere. I never planned to. I'm not afraid of an old storm. Hey, you too have been changed, even if it's in the amount of time you've spent telling people, hmm, I'm not afraid of an old storm. I'm not going anywhere. And you have been forced to interact with those people whose behavior has been radically changed. So, None of us can believably deny that the certainty of Irma's arrival has changed us. Now, it may be true that we live in a state of eat, drink, and be merry when we think nothing is imminent. When we assume that tomorrow will be like today, and the next day, and the next day. But when we know that something big is going to happen we change. Well, let me tell you, something big is going to happen. Something imminent, something much bigger than Irma, Jesus is coming again. He tells us so. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning, because what's happening right now in our lives, it exposes us, and it even traps us just a little bit. We cannot now say that the imminent does not change us because our lives right now testify that it does. So maybe each of us this morning will be a little more receptive to this truth and a little more thoughtful about answering this question. What impact is the certain knowledge of the imminent return of Christ having on me and my behavior. What impact is the certain knowledge of the imminent return of Christ having on me and my behavior? Because see, the the knowledge of Christ's return must change us. And so with that in mind, we're going to ask you to turn in your Bibles. Now this is going to be really big news for Redeemer. Not Deuteronomy. Let me tell you this. Today would be the fourth anniversary of our beginning of studying the book of Deuteronomy. Can you believe it? I had black hair back then. <laughs> Do not turn to Deuteronomy. If you will, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. And when you found your place in the first book of the New Testament, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear read together the Word of the Living God. Matthew chapter 24, verse 30. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus said, At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens, to another. And now verse 36. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the sun, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the son of man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be. The coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, and one will be taken, and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, One will be taken, the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the Master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose Master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. At an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray together. Lord, as always, we are so thankful for your word that we thank you that you are the kind of God who speaks to us and that what you speak is truth. We thank you that you have preserved this word for us this day so that we may know you better and better, so that we may know the people that you've called us to be and so that we may do the things that you've called us to do. So now, Lord, we humbly submit ourselves to the truth of your word. We ask you, O Spirit of God, Now to join truth, and the spirit and truth join in us, we pray that great transformation will take place in us for our good, but more importantly, for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So the Lord is coming again, and that knowledge should make us hopeful, That knowledge should cause us to be people who are prepared, and the knowledge of his return should make us people who are faithful. I want to begin this morning by talking about the hope that we find in the return of the Lord. When Jesus spoke these words, he was sitting privately on the Mount of Olives with his disciples, just them. It's Tuesday before the Friday that Jesus will die on the cross. So clearly, Jesus knows what's coming. And he knows the grief that's going to engulf the disciples when he is crucified. But Jesus knows beyond that as well. Jesus knows of his resurrection. And he knows how radically the lives of these men are going to be changed by his resurrection. Those radically changed lives are going to be immensely fulfilling. And at times, they're going to be extremely exciting for these men as they watch the Lord perform miracles through them, as they preach the good news of the gospel, and they see with their own eyes the transformation that takes place in the lives of those who believe the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But their lives are also going to be difficult and painful and dangerous. Each of the apostles, with the exception of John, will be martyred for their faith, And so when those difficult moments come, those trying moments, painful moments, dangerous moments, the disciples are going to look for hope. All people, you and I included, look for hope in moments like those. And so Jesus provides that hope in his words. Imagine hearing these words after the crucifixion. Imagine hearing these words after a flogging or while chained up in a prison cell. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of sky with power and great glory and he'll send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. These are words of hope. You know, Jesus has gone away. Yes, but he's coming again. I'm being flogged, imprisoned, persecuted. Yes, but Jesus is coming to gather me along with the other elect from the ends of the earth. These are words of hope. These are words of encouragement for everyone. See, the issue is not whether you and I will see the fulfillment of these words, whether we'll be alive when Jesus returns. The issue is believing by faith that it will happen and that it is imminent. See, it's this perspective that gives us hope in our lives. No matter what's going on, I know the Lord is coming again. The knowledge of his certain return as King of kings, and Lord of lords, puts the lives of others in perspective for us, their actions, their choices, even their power, because the good king is coming. And the return of the perfect king to establish a perfect kingdom where perfect righteousness and perfect justice rule and reign, that coming is imminent. Is that good news? The Lord knows that you and I need this hope. And that's why this hope is reiterated in other scripture. The Apostle Paul is inspired by the Spirit of God to write in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. And then listen to what Paul follows this good news with. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. See, you and I are commanded by the word of God to take the truth of the Lord's return and cheer one another with it. You and I are commanded to take the certain knowledge of the return of the Lord to give courage to the one who is facing a difficult situation. You and I are commanded by the word of the Lord to take the truth of the certain return of the Lord to comfort the one who is sad or who's suffering or who is in pain. The Lord is coming Again, why should that give us hope? Well, least three reasons for hope in the Lord's return. One is the comfort that it brings because it reminds us that the Lord has not forgotten us. He hasn't abandoned us. He didn't leave us in a basket on a doorstep and then disappear from our lives forever. And that's what so many people maybe even some of you this morning, we fear in our lives. We fear abandonment. We uh, fear being forgotten or left alone. This is from an August 1st article in Very Well magazine. Although it is not an official phobia, the fear of abandonment is arguably one of the most common and most damaging phobias of all. People with the fear of abandonment may tend to display compulsive behaviors and thought patterns that sabotage their relationships, ultimately leading to the dreaded abandonment. 2015, Huffington Post states, Fear of abandonment is primal fear, not something we get rid of. One more, goodtherapy.org. Some degree of abandonment fear may be a normal part of being human, but when the fear of abandonment is severe frequent, and difficult to ease, it can cause significant impairment, particularly with regard to the development of healthy relationships. I don't know what you think about psychology or psychiatry. It's not the point, but I, I think there's truth uh, in, in, in these words. We fear being abandoned. We fear being left alone. So here's the hope in these words. We're not abandoned. We're not forgotten. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, we are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. So says 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Hebrews thirteen five. God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. The Lord is coming again. That should give you hope. It should change you. It should make you less fearful. It should change your thought patterns. It should enable you to have healthy relationships. You don't any longer have to burden other relationships and demand of them what they cannot provide for you, at least not in a perfect and unconditional way. People are going to fail you. In some way, they will abandon you. In big ways or small ways, they're going to leave you alone with your own thoughts and your own fears because they are not able to enter into those with you, but not the Lord. He is with you. His eye is on you. He is coming for you. You are not abandoned. Is that good news? Be full of hope. A second hope comes from the very public vindication of Jesus Christ as Lord. Look again in verse 30. All nations of the earth will mourn, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky. No one will be able to deny when the Lord returns. No one will be able to say, Oh, oh there, was, there was a shout? I didn't hear it. No one will be able to say, What, what a, a trumpet blast? I, I, I didn't hear that. Oh, did the Lord come back? <laughs> Gee, I must have missed it. Uh-uh. These sounds are not for an obscure spiritual, mystical, coming in which only some people who believe and which can be questioned after they have occurred. When Christ comes a second time, no one will ask the question, is the Lord among us or not? They will know that he is. The media, bless their hearts, (laughs) will not be able to spin it or cover it up or ignore it or explain it away. Everyone will know That the Lord has come. And so the encouragement and the hope is that you and I, we have not believed a lie. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords over all people. It isn't as if Jesus is king just for some, but not for somebody else. He is the one and only. And so we should be changed. And you and I should engage in very public witness. Because the one about whom we witness will return, and he will prove that he is the one he claims to be. What you have believed by faith will be proven true not only to you, but to the entire world. You have the hope of knowing that you are right in proclaiming him to be who he really is. So do it. Make that proclamation. Because when you do, you bless those you tell with the good news of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And when they respond in faith, they will not mourn at his return, but instead they will rejoice. A third hope and comfort. The return of Christ is that the reunion that will take place. See, the second coming of Christ isn't like the first in Bethlehem. That coming was followed in a few years by Jesus leaving his ascension to return to his father in heaven but when Christ returns he will never leave his people again more good news right? his return means forever reunion never again will there be separation between the Lord and his people we will be united with him We'll be reunited with those we love who because of their faith in Christ have already gone to be with the Lord and so there we will be, all of us, together in the presence of the Lord forever and that is literally heaven. And so we're changed. Where there's a a spirit of sorrow in our lives or a, a spirit of despair or a spirit of malcontent It can be replaced with a spirit of joy when we remember the Lord is coming again. And so is it any wonder that Jesus, before he dies, tells the disciples he'll come again? Is it any wonder that the Apostle Paul reminds us of the same truth and says, encourage one another with these words? So let's do it. Let's say these words often to each other. The Lord is coming again. Let's practice, all right? The Lord is coming again. Say it with me. The Lord is coming again. Turn to your neighbor and say the Lord, is again. the Lord is coming again. There we go. Now that's just the first point though it had three subpoints. Now we're going to move on. Because there's more change that needs to take place in our lives. Not only should we be full of hope, but the return of the Lord and the knowledge of it should cause us to be prepared. The event is certain, but the timing is uncertain. Look in verse 36. Jesus says, But of the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So according to Jesus, the angels are going to have a big part to play in his return. They're going to be the ones doing the shouting. They're going to be the ones playing the trumpet. They're going to be the ones who go and gather the elect from the four corners of the earth. But even the angels don't know when they'll be called upon to perform these tasks. Jesus, in his human nature, doesn't even know the day or the hour it will come at an unexpected time. And that's what Jesus is emphasizing here. Life will seem so normal. And so he compares it to the times of Noah. See, it didn't matter at all to the people in Noah's day that Noah was building an ark. It probably took Noah 100 years to build that massive ark. And during that time, Scripture tells us that Moses was a preacher of righteousness, but his preaching didn't have any impact in all those years. The people had no concept of a flood. And so Noah's ark and Noah's words and Noah's warnings did not impact their normal lives or change their behavior. Life went on as usual. As Jesus describes it in verse 38, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. All normal daily activities of life, nothing necessarily sinful about any of them. In fact, you and I can bring glory to God in those activities. Wherefore, So ever you drink, eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. But but the word that Jesus uses here for eating carries the idea of greedily gnawing. See my face? Greedily gnawing like an animal. Eating gluttonously. And the form of the verb Jesus uses indicates that it's not just a one-time act. This is an ongoing behavior, a habit. So I think of what The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 3, Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. The point is that these people in the days of Noah were indulging all the sensual needs and all the appetites that drive humans, and we don't need to make a list of those this morning because you're human, and so am I, and we know what those are. And they lived this way right up until... They entered, till Noah entered the ark, and they were sensual, and they were self-indulgent because they believed themselves to be secure. But their security was imaginary, right? Because the flood came. And those who refused to believe by faith were made to believe by feeling as the waters overwhelmed them. And so, as we've seen in the last few days and are continuing to see, the certain knowledge of the imminent changes our behavior. And so, too, with the coming of Christ. In light of his certain return, you and I must change. Change from indulging and satisfying our own needs and longings urges. We change and that more and more we focus on and long for spiritual realities. And you and I more and more in our lives sing along with the psalmist as a deer pants for flowing streams. So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. See, this change prepares us for the return of the Lord. But here's our problem. Our problem today is not that we don't listen to the warning of Noah. Not N-O-A-H, but N-O-A-A, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Agency. Right? Our problem is that we do listen to Noah. And Noah, with all their advanced technology and their advanced warning systems, they lull us into a belief, and here's the belief we're lulled into, that we will always have time to be prepared. There'll always be advanced warning, time to get ready, time to evacuate if need be. I'll focus on and long for the things of the Lord later. Really, I will. I I will get around to the things of the Lord. That thinking will not only leave you empty, but also unprepared. Jesus says here that his return will be unexpected and sudden, right in the middle of normal life. Two men working, one taken, the other left behind. Two Two women grinding mill, one taken, the other left behind. The Apostle Paul, again in 1 Thessalonians, writing about the return of the Lord like a thief in the night, says, While people are saying, There is peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them. So that being the case, you and I need to be prepared. Look in verse 42. Keep watch, it says, Jesus says. Look in verse 44. You must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. You and I made changes to prepare for the coming of Irma. We need to keep making changes to prepare for the return of Christ. You and I need to keep turning our focus away from self, living for self, indulging self, building self kingdoms, to focusing on the Lord. And we need to keep indulging in this. Keep indulging in the grace that the Lord has lavished on us. The grace that scripture says teaches us to say no. That's what grace is for. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. We need to indulge in the grace that teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The return of Christ should cause us to be people of hope. It should cause us to be people who are prepared, and finally this morning, it should cause us to be people who are faithful. Look with me in verse 45. After Jesus teaches the disciples that he's going to come uh, at an unexpected time, he immediately engages them on a very personal level by asking them a question. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? And Jesus expects them to think out an answer to that question. Just as he expects you and me this morning to think out an answer to that question, who then is the faithful and wise servant? Jesus doesn't leave us guessing what the servant looks like. That servant is faithful and wise. The question is, who is that servant? Who is the one who will continue the work the master has left for him to do, even when the master is not present to watch his behavior. Who's the one who will care for everything and everyone that God has placed in his or her charge? Verse 46 says, It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing when he returns. And doing is a whole range of meanings. Accomplishing, bringing about, preparing, carrying out, practicing, working, acting. The point is that your faith and my faith is an active one. It's on the move. We have work to do. And the faithful servant of Christ, if that is you, will be at that work right up until the day that Christ returns. And that's all of us. Not just those of us in the room that look like we're a little closer to glory than the others. You young people don't leave it to the old people. No. All of us called to be good and faithful servants, old and young. Our time is limited. And you ought to be ever placing before me and I ought to ever be placing before you and we ought to always be placing before each other the tasks that the Lord has entrusted us to do. Our time is limited, but, but listen, Jesus has helped us out. Jesus has helped us save time. He's helped us make time to do these things in our life and here's how he's done it. He's already told us that our position Our identity is secure. Listen to what scripture says. We are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world and predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of his grace. He marked us in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So many more passages I could share with you. The point is, our position and our identity, it's all set. So we don't have to use our time as we often do looking for that security. Creating an identity for ourselves. Jesus has already done that. And so maybe that's where the change needs to take place in our lives. We use the time formerly spent on seeking acceptance and creating an identity for ourselves to instead faithfully build the kingdom of God. We do that here at Redeemer by being a family on mission together, right? And so we ask ourselves, how how deeply embedded am I in the family? And what changes do you need to make in your life to be embedded in the family here at Redeemer? We do it here at Redeemer by looking for people of peace with whom we can build healthy relationships. People who don't yet know the Lord, but because of our relationship with Him, then we can speak and live out the gospel through radical hospitality in our homes And around our tables. And so who are the people of peace in your life? How hospitable are you? How open is your table? What changes do you need to make to make it so? We do it here by giving our time to authentic and passionate worship. How committed are you to worshiping the Lord? And and how engaged when you do worship? We do it by being generous with our time. And resources. How generous are you? What changes do you need to make to be so? And we do it by having the fearlessness that comes with faith, particularly faith in the return of the Lord to take great risks for the sake of the kingdom of God. What bold risks are you taking for the Lord? For what are you trusting him that you know if the Lord doesn't do it in it, in you and through you, it cannot be done. See, as we keep making changes in our lives that allow us to do these things, I believe we will become good and faithful servants while we wait for this imminent event, the certain return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's keep waiting. Let's keep watching for the Lord. It gives us great hope. It enables us to be prepared and to stay faithful. We don't know when we will hear the summons that calls us from this life to the next, whether we hear the voice of the Lord individually. Or whether we will be among those who hear the victory blast of the trumpet and see the Lord return. But in either case, the result is the same. We will be home with the Lord forever. Encourage each other with these words. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for the encouragement of your word, Lord, you truly, truly are the hope of the world, our hope. And so, Lord Jesus, we put our hope, all of it, in you this morning. We thank you that you have not abandoned or forsaken us. We thank you, Lord, that you have bothered to tell us truth that gives us hope. And so, Father, I pray that instead of looking in our lives to other people and other things for hope, No, Lord, we will come to you as the source of hope for our lives. I pray that we would be convicted by the truth of your word. Lord, we know that that when you return, you want to find good and faithful servants. Lord, may we be the good and faithful servants, preparing ourselves, thinking less of ourselves and more of you, focusing on you and your kingdom, longing after the things that are truly important, in this world. or give us faith, give us courage as we watch and wait and change us by your truth through the power of your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.